Wandering Birds, coming to you from the city that never sleeps in the deep, deep, deep BKLYN, Brooklyn, brought to you by Gifted Sound Productions. Wandering Birds, the show that lets those on the go know just where to go when they wander the big blue marble. I'm Miki, just Miki, no more, no less, giving you the best in travel and history from a blurred point of view. My partner in crime, Mickey B, has gone on to do some bigger and better projects. We wish her all the best. Keep your ears pricked and listening to the Gifted Sounds Productions for her wonderful show, Music Bay. And I believe she has a new show that will be coming up that is a kid show called Made With Steam. So we wish her all the best. But on to today's topic. This week, we are wandering through Colorado, Denver, and beyond. For those of you who are new to the show and aren't yet in the know, a blurred is a black nerd, a nerd of African descent from any country or continent. But you don't have to be a melanin-enhanced individual or wear high-water pants or carry a pocket protector to enjoy this show. So come along and ride with us on our fantastic voyage. This week, we will take a soulful sojourn through cool, colorful Colorado. This is no square dance, mind you, and I promise you that we will not do do Let's begin our journey at the Four Corners Monument. This Quadra Point Monument is at the southwestern tip of the state of Colorado. X marks the spot where Colorado, Arizona, New Mexico, and Utah meet. The rectangular shape of the state was determined by an act of Congress in 1848 after the Mexican-American War. This act of Congress almost always define the boundaries of new territories as the line of longitude or latitude with each state boundary starting at the corner of the adjacent state. This ensured the eventual creation of four states, meaning at a point regardless of the boundaries surveying the four corners area was surveyed in 1868 in the effort to make Colorado territory into a state. Thus, the first of our four corners states was formed. This is the only place in the United States where you can occupy four states and six jurisdictions at once. Most people go out to the Four Corners for photo ops. They lie on the Four Corners marker just to say they've been in multiple states at once. If you've never had a chance to sample Navajo cuisine, you'll have the opportunity to do so in Four Corners. And I highly recommend the fry bread. This area is also home to the largest concentration of national parks in the United States. Durango is the nearest city to Four Corners Monument. Durango is seven hours from Denver, and it's worth it to take the trip down the Trail of Ancients scenic byway and check out the cliff dwellings and towers constructed by the ancestral Puebloans and the Ute people, who were the first people to inhabit the state of Colorado. If you want to get a taste of Colorado's Cowboy Pass, consider a stay at the historic Strader Hotel or Colorado Trails Dude Ranch. Take a ride into the 1880s on the Durango-Silverton Narrow Gauge Railroad before you leave. Oh, and you'll definitely want to bathe in Colorado's best kept secret, the healing waters of Pagusa Spring. Pagusa is the oot word for healing waters. No... It's not like Minnetonka. There's no purple rain, but it is the deepest geothermal hot spring according to the Guinness Book of World Records. It's over a thousand feet deep and it's been soothing humanity for hundreds of years. Now, I have a riddle for you listeners. 
what other historic Colorado object has four corners, four colors, and four points? Take a second to think about it. Give up? The answer to the riddle is the state flag. The design of the Colorado state flag speaks to both the physical beauty and material wealth of the state. There are two lovely Yale blue bars separated by a white line in the middle. It has a large red C on the top of three vertical lines with a gold disc in the center. That gold disc represents both the Pikes Peak Gold Rush that spurred the state and the sunshine that Colorado gets, which is an average of 300 days of sunshine a year. The blue bar at the bottom of the flag and the white bar in the middle represent the snow-capped Rocky Mountains. The top blue bar represents the sky above the mountains. The first Europeans to settle in Colorado territory were Spanish, and the state gets its name from the Spanish word for colored red or ruddy, from the red silt deposits from the mountains by the Colorado River. The flag was actually designed by the Daughters of the American Revolution during a meeting held on November the 19th, 1910 at 317 Lafayette Street in Denver. The ladies of the DAR were under the impression that the state did not already have a flag, so they created one to maintain state loyalty, and that's state loyalty in quotes. This four-bedroom, four-bath piece of Colorado history sold for $1,040,000 in 2004. Now, we've talked about a four-cornered monument a flag with four points and four colors, and the four-bedroom, four-bathroom house where that flag was conceived. Now let's move on to the number five. Five points was the epicenter of the black community in Denver from the 1920s to the late 1960s. Nicknamed the Harlem of the West, Jack Kerouac waxed poetic about the vitality of the five points in his novel On the Road. He wrote, quote, at lilac evening, I walked with every muscle aching among the lights of 27th and Welton in the Denver Comfort section, wishing I were a Negro, feeling that the best that the white world had offered was not enough ecstasy for me, not enough life, joy, kicks, darkness, music, not enough night. Wandering Blurds asked Daphne Rice Allen to share a little bit of additional information about Dr. Justina Ford the Black American West Museum and Cultural Center, and its impact on the Five Points community in Denver. My name is Daphne Rice Allen, and I am chair of the board at the Black American West Museum and Heritage Center. The neighborhood Five Points actually goes back to the 1920s-ish, if not a little earlier. That particular section of Colorado or of Denver was actually considered a suburb because where Cherry Creek Creek and the Platte River merge in lower downtown is where they, is one of the places they found gold, and it's called Confluence Park. So the original Denver, for all intents and purposes, was, it was west of where we are now. And so there was this trolley that came down Welton. It came through downtown, and it actually turned around at that Welton, Washington, 26 point. And as opposed to saying Welton, Washington Street, 26, where they called it five points. 
So Five Points became a nexus thriving with black businesses and entertainment. The Five Points community had its own black dentists, lawyers, newspapers, schools, educators, doctors, restaurants, hotels, and even the city's first all-black firehouse, number three. Established in 1897 at 2563 Glenarm Place. The building later came to be known as the Wallace Simpson American Legion Post, named for the first black Coloradoan killed in World War I. Poet Playwright Paul Lawrence Dunbar moved to the Five Points in 1899 after his tuberculosis diagnosis. The dry air and temperate climate was beneficial for TB sufferers. Dunbar worked as a freelance writer for the Denver Post during his long stay in the Mile High City. After serving in the historic 54th Regiment during the Civil War, Frederick Douglass's sons, Lewis and Frederick Douglass Jr., also migrated to Five Points, Denver, and began building a small empire. They opened Douglas's undertaking at 2745 Welton Street. They also opened the first black school in Denver. The Douglas brothers also owned and operated a restaurant on California Street. If you were a black Denverite between 1878 and 1920, you were likely to be educated, fed, or laid to rest by one of the Douglas Brothers' businesses. Frederick and Louis Douglas also were two signatures of the 100 Blacks petition. The Rossonian Hotel is the heart of the five-way intersection that creates five points. Jazz legends Ella Fitzgerald, Duke Ellington, Cab Calloway, Billy Holiday, Nat King Cole, and Charlie Parker played and stayed at this historic hotel. It was one of the few hotels in Denver that permitted black lodgers before the late 1950s. Social clubs, fraternal orders, and civic organizations played a huge role in the lives of black Denverites from 1925 through 1950. The Derby Club was one of the first followed by the Voters Club, the Cavaliers, and 55 others. That's 55 other social clubs in one city. Now, these organizations not only provided social outlets and entertainment venues, they also became the vehicles for civic action, professional networking, and the foundation for the civil rights movement in the city. Denver's Black Social Clubs were really a vehicle for community cohesion after restrictive covenant community laws and, and regulations were lifted and people were able to move further and further out from the city. So those created opportunities for the community to kind of come together and talk about concerns, have social interaction, network business-wise, have civic activities, um, and really talk about what their civil rights concerns were in Denver, which were distinctly different than areas in the South and further out West. The role of the social club in Denver really can't be underscored at the turn of the 20th century and all the way through mid-century. Daphne Rice Allen, chair of the Black American West Museum and Heritage Center, took some time out of her busy schedule to talk to Wandering Blurds about this historic neighborhood. There was a lot of what was called redlining, a lot of different cities. You know, you were relegated to live on the other side of the tracks or on the other side of the river or uh-huh. wherever. And as blacks moved further east, Five Points was one of the places where black folks could live. 
the redlining is what created the pockets of communities. So blacks were sort of in that northeast Denver pocket. Latinos were on the west side. Jews were a little bit further south, but not much. Polish stayed um, very north. Okay. So there were these pockets. There were nightclubs that I remember like The Shape and 23rd Street East and Pierre's. Those, those were places where people would go eat. I know people would go to the Rossonian and would go to the Roxy Theater, but I, I did not. I also know that there were social clubs like the Owls Club and Pullman Porters, you know, those were places where black folks would go for their entertainment. During Prohibition, many of the social clubs became a network of speakeasies. This provided a unique opportunity for enterprising entrepreneurs. Philanthropist and restaurateur Daddy Bruce Randolph once sold whiskey and Coke bottles during Prohibition. Daddy Bruce always gave back to the community, sponsoring annual free Thanksgiving Day meals in the Five Points. The family of Omar Blair, former Tuskegee Airman, had two apartments when he was growing up, one that the family lived in and the other for their still. Blair went on to become the first African-American president of the Denver School Board. One of the many faces of Fern Hall, where heavyweight world champion Sonny Liston once practiced before being unseated by Muhammad Ali, was a bootlegging operation. Built to house a bakery in 1886, this former house of forbidden spirits now houses offices and condos. Yes, gentrification has been all over the world. <laughs> and Denver is no exception. Five Points has been a boon for many women entrepreneurs, both past and present. Madam C.J. Walker, America's first self-made female millionaire, is most often identified as a notable Harlemite, but her career began in the Five Points in Denver in 1905 when she first began mixing and marketing her hair products. Dr. Justina Ford, OBGYN, Denver's first female African-American physician, made her home and her practice at 2335 Arapahoe Street in Five Points. Dr. Ford was prohibited from membership in the Colorado Medical Association until 1950 and barred from practicing in a hospital, but she delivered 7,000 babies during her career and never turned away a patient. She treated poor people, whites, blacks, immigrants, and anyone who was turned away from a hospital. She practiced until two weeks before her death in 1952. Her house is now home to the Black American West Museum. Wandering Blurds asked Daphne Rice Allen to share a little bit of additional information about Dr. Justina Ford, the Black American West Museum and Cultural Center, and its impact on the Five Points community in Denver. But she went to Herring College and initially was going to be a nurse but was encouraged because of her grades and so forth to go into medical school. And it's not clear whether she shadowed, sat in the back, exactly how, but she she got her medical degree. And she, I want to say Normal, Alabama, I think is is one place. And then there was Knoxville, Illinois is another. Mm -hmm. And she married a gentleman 
and his mate and his name was Ford. Her, her, her that was Ford. Doctor Ford is her married name from her first husband. Oh, okay. And he he was a pastor. He had been an ordained pastor and was called to Zion Baptist Church here in Colorado. Okay. And that's what brought her to Colorado because they were. I want to say, I think they were in Illinois, and that's where she initially started working, and he got his call, and they came to Colorado, and he came first, and she came after. The Black American West Museum stands as a icon going back to the 1800s, and it, it shows that we as a people we're here in Colorado and instrumental in its, its livelihood and its growth. The fact that she delivered over 7,000 babies of different ethnic groups, kind of going all the way back to come forward. You know, if, if you look at the 1860, 1860 through about 1865, so you're looking at 61, 62, so you're looking at the Homestead Act, you're looking at the signing of the Emancipation Proclamation, and you're looking at that migration west. Okay. Now, yes, there was gold found in California, so that's where that 49ers thing came from. But the bottom line is, to have gotten to California, they had to cross the Rocky Mountains. Mm-hmm. So they had to have come through Colorado or Wyoming or or Utah or or you know, New Mexico, to get to California. And so the fact that there were black miners, that there were people like Clara Brown, there were, there were people that established businesses of all kinds and served people who were trying to make that this western part of the United States home. Hattie McDaniel, the first black actress to win an Academy Award, began her career as a singer in Five Points, East Denver. 32 years after Dr. Ford's passing, Clara Villarosa chose Five Points as the location for her new bookstore that promised a skew for every hue. For two decades, Villarosa's Human Bookstore was the largest black owned and operated book retailer in the country. From the 1930s to present day, several women owned and operated restaurants and social clubs in the Five Points. What's amazing about this neighborhood is that it rose to prominence at the same time that the Ku Klux Klan established a dominant presence in Colorado. In the 1920s, in the wake of D.W. Griffith's Birth of a Nation, 50,000 Coloradoans joined the Ku Klux Klan. The only state with more Klan members at that time was Indiana. From 1925 to 1927, both the mayor of Denver and the governor were Klansmen, as well as a large number of state legislators. In fact, in 1925, the year that Klansman Governor Clarence Morley was elected to office, The Klan burned down shorter African Methodist Episcopal Church, which once stood at 23rd and Washington Street. This Gothic revival building was the first location of the church, which has had several homes around the city since the 1925 arson. It is now at 29th and Richard Allen Court. 
Denver's oldest Baptist church, Zion, also escaped the fires of destruction organized by former slaves in 1865 and built by hand in 1867 on the corner of 20th and Arapahoe, Mother Zion thrived. In spite of the shorter fire of 1925, African-American Denverites remained unbroken and unbound. The city hosted a star-studded showcase of black progressives that year, including Marcus Garvey, James Weldon Johnson, W.E.B. Du Bois, and several others. In fact, the NAACP held their national convention in Denver that year. Five Points was both a secular and spiritual home to many of Denver's communities of color and immigrant populations. Five Points was home to a large Jewish population. In fact, former Israeli Prime Minister Golda Meir moved to Denver after high school. She was exposed to her first debates on Zionism in Denver. She also met her husband there. The former Temporal Emanuel is still on the corner of 24th and Curtis in Five Points. This synagogue was added to the National Historic Register in 1978. When it was built in 1882, the building had an elaborate Victorian, Moorish, and Romanesque elements. Fire destroyed the building in 1897, and it was reconstructed with more simple brick and stone elements. By 1949, Temple Emmanuel was one of the oldest and largest Jewish congregations between Kansas and the West Coast. Rabbi William S. Friedman, one of the founders of the United Way, was also a rabbi of Temple Emmanuel from 1890 to 1941. A sizable Japanese-American community also formed in the Five Points after World War II. Agape Church is on the corner of 25th and California. This was once a Japanese Methodist church. In 1942, Reverend Shigeru Yamura and Colorado Governor Ralph Carr encouraged Japanese Americans who had been forced into relocation camps on the West Coast during World War II to take refuge in Denver. Ironically, the Japanese Methodist Church occupied the same sanctuary that was formerly home to the first German Methodist Episcopal congregation. So the Five Points was a spiritual home and a literal home to many people from several different backgrounds. Now that we know where the residents of the Five Points in East Denver went to feed their souls, now it's time to find out where they went to feed their bodies. Now, Colorado is beef country, and it's famous for its steak and its beef barbecue. But the historic fair of Five Points was a reflection of the people who settled in the area. There was a time when Denverites could get a bowl of grits at the Ritz Cafe, hot fried chicken at the Carpe Lounge, or at Pierre's Supper Club, or a slab of beef ribs with two sides and white bread to sop up the sauce with at Daddy Bruce Randolph's. That era ended when Daddy Bruce shuttered his doors for the last time in 2012. This was the last bastion of the half century old tradition and Five Points eateries. As the Tamale King gave way to the hot links and pig ear sandwiches that had patrons lining the block around Zona's tamale stand for four decades, so too are new eateries and um, breweries making a way for new foodways in the Five Points. The Five Points of yesteryear is remembered in the festivals of today, like Juneteenth, the Five Points Jazz Festival, 
and the more recent Boogaloo celebration. Juneteenth and the Boogaloo Festival and Parade, which is preceded by the Colorado Black Arts Festival, are two of the largest Black celebrations in the Five Points in East Denver. Juneteenth is June 19th, and it marks the time when U.S. colored troops spread the word of emancipation to people who were enslaved in Texas and all points west. So for Denver, which has a large population of black people who have roots, not only in Colorado, but in Texas, Juneteenth has been historically a huge event and parade. We asked Daphne Rice Allen to give us a little bit more cultural, historical background on Juneteenth celebrations in Denver and Five Points. Well, back in the, the 20s and 30s, they, I mean, they've always had a parade. Mm-hmm. They've always had a parade. Back when, um, I want to say in the 80s and up through the late 90s, it was actually a three-day. I mean, it was like, it started Thursday night. It was Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So it was a whole weekend. They had parades. They had food. They had vendors. And, I mean, they kind of blocked off the street for several, several days. And that was the original Five Points Business Association. As some of that old guard started dying out, as the money kind of dried up, and some people didn't always understand the celebration. It kind of died on the vine and, and went down to just a weekend. And I want to say within about the last five years, maybe eight years, it's it, dwindled down to one day they used to have a miss juneteenth i don't know if they still do that but they do have music they do still try to have a presentation about the history of juneteenth and there is a lot of food well we'll take a deeper look into the pioneers politicians and progressives that made colorado what it is today I'm Miki, just Miki, no more, no less. Thank you for joining us for this Mile High City edition of Wandering Blurs, brought to you by Gifted Sound Productions with special thanks to our producer and head nerd in charge, Mr. Lance Jones.